Hello, everyone at home and my colleague, Sydney Fassard. I'm Tamara Ugolini, and you are watching our daily live stream, our daily roundup at Rebel News, where we take an hour plus, sometimes we go a little bit over, out of the day to dissect the newsiest items and go through some commentary with you, all of our viewers at home. Today is Wednesday, September the 6th, and you may be joining us on various platforms. We're streaming on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and Getter. Uh, we may get into some COVID nitty-gritty towards the end of the show when we discuss the World Health Organization's Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus and his recent comments. So because YouTube is a highly censorious platform, and basically anything that you say that may contradict what the consensus or mainstream media narrative may be goes against their community standards, we won't be able to feature some of our actual thoughts on that platform towards the end of the show. So I, I suppose, Sid, we'll kind of see how it goes and make that call as we get into the weeds of COVID hysteria um, and decide if we should get off of YouTube where we can speak a little bit more freely, at which time we will I'll transition over to those other streaming platforms, primarily Rumble, because on Rumble, you can comment or engage with us directly through a Rumble rant. So there you can give us a small monetary donation, and it's a great way for you to get your comment in, have your voice heard, but also let us know what's on your mind. And if you have anything to add to our conversation or a point that we're missing or really anything at all, um, as long as it's respectful then we would be happy to feature it. It's a great way for you to engage with us directly as well and get some feedback and banter happening. So thanks to everybody who does that. And we look forward to hearing from you. So please don't, don't shy away from using that platform to get your voice heard. Um, before we get into things, Sid, I know we were here same time and place yesterday and I apologize that something happened to my stream. And I saw uh, some of the comments too on Rumble were saying that there was a glitch or I don't know exactly what happened, but my whole screen, everything went blank and I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't see anything. So I had no idea where we were at in the stream. Um, but thanks Sid for taking over there. How was the rest of the day yesterday? Uh, no, absolutely. It happens to the best of us. Uh, we concluded fairly well. Uh, I just kind of ran through the last uh, few things we were talking about. One of the big key items from yesterday, of course, uh, were some of the demonstrations that were taking place here in Calgary over the weekend. I say demonstrations, but uh, more akin to rioting. Uh, Tamara, would you, uh, do you want to fill us in or do we uh, have anything to touch base on before we get to that? Yeah, well, it's an expansion of what we were discussing yesterday, which was over the weekend, a group of uh, opposing tribal, and we weren't pronouncing it correctly yesterday, so I'm going to try here today, Eritrea um, tribal groups were clashing on the streets of, or in a parking lot in Calgary, but 150 rioters brandishing violent weapons. Yeah, you can see here on the screen, this is a clip from one of the business owners. I think it was, it was like a a strip mall that they were fighting amongst each other in. And um, and so they were brandishing weapons. Obviously, this was violent riot. And the police basically just issued caution, uh, told people to avoid the area and said that they were working with community partners to, I guess, somehow uphold safety. And we kind of, we really dug deep into contrasting that with the way that COVID dissidents were treated throughout the last two and a half, roughly years. Anybody who was politically maligned with the narrative flavor of the COVID day was uh, harshly punished, violently arrested, dissuaded from 
speaking freely, from protesting, from gathering, from assembling. And, and just actually on that note, before we get into what the Calgary uh, police chief has said in a recent update, you know, this really speaks volumes as to the current trial that's ongoing with Tamara Leach and her co-accused, uh, Chris Barber. And for anybody who is not familiar, we have two rebels on the ground there in Ottawa. Robert Krejcik is in the courtroom providing live tweet updates. You can follow his Twitter account or you can follow our page, TamaraTrial.com. We're kind of compiling all of the most notable tweets throughout the day, mostly from Krejcik because he's in the courtroom. So he's doing live updates from the courtroom, as well as the registered Canadian charity, the Democracy Fund, who's representing Tamara at no cost to her. And so there, the lawyers are in the courtroom as well, doing live updates. And then we have our videographer, Lincoln J, outside of the courtroom, catching any notable people or any protests or supporters and what's kind of going on outside of the court. So I'd really urge people if they are familiar with that story and they want to know just what exactly is happening in this trial of Tamara Leach, you can do that at TamaraTrial.com. Uh, follow Lincoln J and Robert Krejcik on Twitter, or I guess it's now called X. Um, you can follow them there. And Lincoln's posting a lot of tweet, uh, clips in his tweets, which are always fun to watch. And we'll see what ends up happening because I think it was just today. And um, maybe we're going to get into this a little bit later, but we're on the topic now. But just today, uh, the Democracy Fund tweeted that here, you know what, maybe let's pull up the uh, the quick written piece that we did, the article um, that was just went up, I think, about an hour ago. And it houses that tweet that I'd like to just refer to quickly. Um, and I apologize, I haven't, I don't have it pulled up right here, but I'm going to look for it. Yes. And I'll share the link here and we can just get it shown up on screen there with a tweet that I want to refer to, um, which is down at the very bottom of this page, second, second from the last. Um, where the Democracy Fund says, from our observations, oh, I'll wait for you to get there, down at the very second from the bottom tweet. Yeah, there it is. From our observations, the judge is strictly applying hearsay rules. This would not be like the Public Order Emergency Commission. So again, anybody who's familiar, we had a full dedicated staff to the Public Order Emergency Commission that basically was intended to scrutinize Trudeau and his invocation of the unprecedented wartime legislation, the Emergencies Act, which he used to quash this demonstration, this ongoing uh, political demonstration. And instead of scrutinizing Trudeau's use of that piece of legislation, they basically put the convoy, um, quote unquote, organizers or participants on trial and used a lot of hearsay um, from witnesses, not even direct witnesses, but people kind of low information uh, people from Ottawa, the Ottawa residents who were who presented a lot of hearsay testimony of accounts and things that they didn't directly witness them themselves. And the the, um, the, the hearing, uh, I forget what he was called, the, the commissioner, uh, he basically allowed this and took it verbatim what they were saying as accurate and true. So in this particular trial, it is being conducted as you know, a real trial. And so the Democracy Fund is saying here, unlike the Public Order Emergency Commission, where we heard testimony about assaults that the witnesses did not actually observe, the judge in this particular case with Tamara Leach and Chris Chris uh, Barber, the judge is strictly applying hearsay rules. So I think that's really important to note. And it's a really great indication of where 
this ruling may be going. You know, it's very early on. It's day two of, I think it will be upwards of 20 days total over the course of six weeks, maybe longer, um, that Tamara and Chris will be on trial. But anyway, I wanted to kind of contrast that and how the convoy participants and organizers and COVID dissident protesters were treated throughout the COVID hysteria versus how these violent rioters over the past weekend in Calgary have been treated because there was no arrests from Calgary mayor who's worked tirelessly, it seems, to ban things like protests at Drag Queen Story Hour and anybody who questions the, as David Menzies would call it, transanity unfoldings. Um, and yet you can have violent rioters in the streets in Calgary and really there's no real repercussions. So with all that said, Sid, should we show this video then of the, the Calgary police chief and then we'll get into some more commentary on that? Absolutely. All right, let's roll it. This clash was centered around two separate events scheduled in the city's Northeast quadrant. The scheduled events were peaceful in nature and all attendees are not to be blamed for the violence that transpired alongside them. I wanna be very clear, the clash was not a protest. This was a planned targeted attack made by some members of the involved communities. This is really the largest violent event to happen in our city in recent memory, if you think about the numbers of people that were involved in this. We are actively investigating this incident and we will hold those responsible for the criminal activity that took place there. It, it could be characterized as a riot, but at the end of the day, I think it's fine just to say that it was a, a senseless violence that was sort of planned and premeditated. I think the underlying issues that that sort of you know drive this are are very complicated, um, and there's very strong feelings on both sides of it, as you might expect. But at the end of the day, we're not policing ideologies. We don't we're not, we don't get on one side or the other of this. This is around behavior for us, and so the behavior that we see in the videos and in the in the reporting of this is the very same behavior that we've seen in other cities, and it's it's not okay, and it's not okay in our city. Um, I would have been very happy to see arrests made at the scene. I think there's a real deterrent effect to that, but I understand and support the decisions that were made around uh, the priorities that were set and executed. And so that's fair enough. We'll deal with it after the fact. No, I don't think you'll see it that quickly. We put together a task group today, an investigative group that will go after all of the offenses in relation to this. So again, I think it's really important that, uh, that we demonstrate that this is not okay in our city and that the individuals who committed criminal offenses there in the parking lot be held to account for that. Well, I think with respect to the violence, like when we're talking about bringing, you know, rocks and bricks and that type of thing and throwing them at other people and putting them in the hospital, I think there should be some serious repercussions for that. This is not something we can condone in our uh, city and the people that were involved in, in the worst of that uh, should, should feel the wrath. You know, dealing with violence after the fact right the he says there that we'll deal with it after the fact uh that just just doesn't make any sense to me what about you said well i can understand in the sense you know perhaps they weren't expecting this to be a 150 person brawl uh, and to bring enforcement into a crowd like that could have some serious complications for police that are involved um, so I can understand them maybe wanting to take a step back from the situation to assess, observe, and of course, uh, go after them later on. However, if you're not going to be taking action in the moment in situations like this, where, as he says, you know, it could be characterized as a riot. Um, yet, in the other hand, what did we see? Again, during the Freedom Convoy and the Freedom Protest, pardon me, demonstrations, uh, we saw the heavy hand of enforcement when perhaps it was 
less needed, especially less needed than situations like this. Uh, we saw arrests. We saw, uh, like, for instance, uh, the fist bump that one of the officers uh, engaged in, I guess you could say, uh, with one of the demonstrators over the weekend at this riot. Uh, you had officers getting punished for shaking hands of freedom demonstrators. And yet here, this guy with the fist bump, is that officer going to get reprimanded or punished in any way? Um, so I think, you know, even though he does say he wants to, you know, take a step back and doesn't want to police ideologies, their actions are in a sense still telling. It's so ironic that they don't want to police ideologies. And yet the police really do that when they uphold drag queen story hours at public libraries and prevent anyone who's protesting that ideology from doing so. Um, they arrest the the one side heavy-handedly while the other side goes forward, you know, pretty much unabated. Um, it's funny because, well, we have, we have a clip here that maybe we'll throw to as well. Um, where police officers plot to arrest a peaceful demonstrator uh, against Calgary's radical new anti-protesting bylaw. And just, again, I, I said it during the live stream yesterday, and I'll say it again, it highlights really the hypocrisy of the bureaucracy. Um, there's It's Pastor Derek Reimer. We saw Archer Pawlowski. I mean, the amount of political dissidents that were treated harshly cannot be forgotten and cannot go unnoticed. Let's hear, maybe we can just play this this quick clip. So Lisa, we can get some bid with her on the property. If she takes off, then at least we can deal with it. If we don't have anybody to grab her. Yeah. Maybe somebody can always go snap her up later. Yeah. Just walk it to the end there in the black jacket. Just walk straight down here, just walk here. Yeah, so they're plotting there to arrest just a, a peaceful demonstrator who is there to simply have their voice be heard and be seen. Um, and, and then, you know, you can contrast that with the police chief saying, oh, well, we'll deal with these violent rioters after the fact. This it's just it's an unfair and unjust application of the law. And I think that more and more people are recognizing and realizing just how often this takes place. And that's not um, it's 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 largely due to the fact that we have independent media and independent journalists on the ground capturing these clips, capturing this footage, capturing these events where the mainstream media ignores or is silent or even maybe in some instances complicit in. And so it really highlights the importance of independent media like Rebel News, like on the ground, boots on the ground journalists, because without them, we would have no idea that these things are happening. And so you know, it's a great opportunity to support the kind of work you want to see continue in the field of journalism, because without this, I don't even want to think about where the state of affairs in Canada would be, at least when you can see and contrast these kind of events happening in real time, you can attempt to get some form of accountability. And I think that being aware that this is happening is obviously the first step in that. Um, and I think that the Calgary police are really seeing 
how much the public is in disagreement with the response, with the way that this was handled. And hopefully they'll uphold uh, their own their own opinion or their own saying there, not opinion, that uh, they don't police ideologies. That's That should be first and foremost. We need a clear separation between politics, ideologies, and the police. And we've seen that line really blurred and muddied over the last few years. And I think it's time to get that clear, definitive difference back and reestablished. Um, and so so that is where I'm kind of hopeful here, where the Cal Calgary police uh, have a chance and opportunity to correct this. But dealing with it after the fact is, I think, a bit of a slippery slope um, because you there's no guarantee. Yeah, there's no guarantee. And as well, we do bring up the... Uh... Uh, some of the trans protesting and stuff that's happened around the libraries here in Calgary, based around one of the uh, bylaws, I believe it were, uh, that Calgary Mayor Jody Gondek implemented, which basically made it illegal to protest uh, a, a trans or a drag time story reading hour type event. Uh, if you were within 150 meters of that location, you would be arrested. Uh, and we've seen that taking place in Calgary, and it's the police that are doing this. And you're supposed to have a right to peacefully protest, peacefully assemble. And if you're not engaging with people that are literally meters, 150 meters away with you, you're still not able to send that message. And yet here they are, the police, enforcing this, arresting people uh, because of these political bylaws or laws that are being put in place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, too, this, this restoration of law and order and um, as leader of the opposition party would call it, also the bringing common sense back home, right? That's something that I think resonates really strongly with Canadians now because they've seen the nonsensical hysteria, they've seen the knee-jerk reactions, they've seen the way that this uh, culmination of events has affected uh, their everyday lives. And I think as things become more uncomfortable in Canada, both financially and socio-politically, um, bringing common sense back home really resonates with people. And so just kind of leading into our next video here, we have a quick clip of leader of the opposition, Pierre Polyev, calling out the Trudeau liberals for their nonsensical knee-jerk carbon tax and bail reform uh, for leading to chaos in the streets of Canadian towns across the country, which we saw over the weekend in Calgary. Because after eight years of Justin Trudeau, Life costs more, work doesn't pay, housing costs have doubled. We see crime, chaos, drugs and disorder in our streets. Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau have a solution. They want a 61 cent a litre carbon tax that will make life even more expensive. They put $60 billion of new inflationary deficits that drive up interest rates and taxes. They've created tent cities in major towns and centres across every uh, municipality. One in five Canadians now skipping meals. 1.5 million going to food banks because the Trudeau tax has driven up grocery bills so high. We see homelessness on the rise, hopelessness everywhere. Uh, Middle-class people who've always had homes and jobs now living in parking lots in places like Penticton uh, and Kelowna and even uh, in all across uh, Ontario and uh, in every region of the country, really. In fact, uh, everything's broken after eight years of Trudeau. But the good news is life was not like this before Justin Trudeau, and it won't be like this after he's gone. 
we're going to replace this costly coalition with a common sense conservative government that stands squarely with the hardworking people, their paychecks, their homes, their communities, and their futures. Yeah, as I said, I think that really that those sentiments really re resonate with Canadians who are struggling and they see that the policies instituted by the Justin Trudeau Liberal Party and many of them are knee jerk, not well thought out, not um, they don't have the infrastructure in place to make it a successful policy. And we're starting to see the fallout of those failed endeavors. Uh, and so when people hear, let's bring common sense back home. They, you know, that gives people hope. And I think after the last three years, we really need to bring that home to Canadians. Canadians are are yearning for that hope that it seems to be being brought back home by Pierre Polyev. Not that I'm, you know, an an uncritical fan, but uh, what we have in place right now is clearly not working and needs immediate reform. No, to say the least, I mean, especially how many years now has it been of the Trudeau government? And every year things get worse. Uh, just look at the pricing for housing. Well, I'm sure the moment Pierre gets elected, we're going to see some positive change on that. Not because he's a genius or whatnot, which, you know, I'm not saying he isn't. However, Trudeau's opened the door in so many different ways for us to improve this country in the snap of a finger. And Pierre could do it as soon as he steps into office, but it wouldn't be a matter of him implementing new law. It would just be a matter of him getting rid of a lot of the policies that Trudeau's implemented. Um, and, you know, one can hope a lot of that will take place. Uh, uh, we're seeing, you know, censorship bills. We're seeing bills, of course, uh, that are providing or laws that are providing easy drug access. Uh, our, our country is very rapidly decaying under Trudeau's leadership. And I think the moment we can switch him out with somebody who's got a decent uh, ability to command the economy in some sense, uh, that'll be a good change for us. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody without, um, who has, I think he, he mentioned before that he has a mental disorder and inability like as it pertains to math specifically. So it's not really surprising when someone who says ba budgets balance themselves and they have a disability when it comes to adding and subtracting numbers that they would have our country in record inflation, um, unabated interest rate hikes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We also have a little bit of a breaking story here to bring you from the Calgary Police Services in regards to that riot that we were chatting about that saw about 150 aggressive um, opposing tribal war, tribal warfare happening downtown Calgary. Uh, charges were laid. So the Calgary Police Service just tweeted uh, about 10 minutes, yeah, about um, not even 10 minutes ago. After a joint investigation between the CPS and our partners into suspicious activity in Southwest Calgary, multiple people were taken into custody and stolen property was seized. Was this a. Um, uh, oh, sorry, this is oof. not in relation to. Uh, well, they're taking action the, on other fronts. Riots. Yeah. <laughs> but where, where, where are the, the charges? Three, where are the charges months, for the other demonstrations? Three months yeah. after the fact, they uh, decide to, you know, have an ongoing investigation. Anyway, sorry, we thought that that was in relation to the Eritrea um, riots that took place over the weekend, but in fact, it was not. Um, but hey, looks like the Calgary police are busy, at least cracking down on crime three months after the fact. So maybe we'll maybe in three months 
we will see um, some of these riders brought to justice. Yeah, yeah, one uh, can hope, um, but it'll uh, it'll probably at least take a while for any news to break on that front. Once once it's gone from the head waves, maybe they'll say something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go to a quick, quick ad break. And I know we discussed uh, Tamara Leach's trial a little bit at the beginning, but we're going to come back and feature some more uh, quick clips from today's event. So stay tuned. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. Go to twccanada.health/rebel today. Justin Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, it's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. We've partnered with Private Internet Access, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices at piavpn.com slash rebelnews. So just before we get into the Leach trial, I found something that I wanted to refer to earlier when we were talking about the Eritrea uh, riot, and it's in relation to the Calgary police. Um, this is a tweet from Ezra, and I'm not sure that we ever actually did a more robust story on it, but it definitely deserves a story. And so I'll see to it that we either uh, find and dig up the story that we did do or do something on this. But if we can just pull up Ezra's tweet that I shared there. Uh, Calgary's deeply partisan police have put so many officers on the hate speech beat that they no longer have the manpower to stop actual crimes like assault. We captured a crime on video and published it. But police want to seize all of our unpublished footage too. Should we? And then he polled uh, the wonderful participants of, of X, formerly Twitter. Um, and they said, fight them in court. And so uh, I'm happy to announce that we are fighting the Calgary police's uh, seizure of our unpublished footage in court. But it goes to show like how, how often the Calgary police respond to incidences after the fact, right? We had we have this footage. We published a report, and I'll have to again, I'll have to dig up. Um, where exactly this this footage and this report is, and if we've done anything further on this file, but they the Calgary Police Service was on the scene while this crime was happening, and we have the footage that shows that they didn't do anything about it at this the the time of the crime, and now after the fact, they're coming after our footage to try to I guess see make get justice for this crime. And uh, this is really a backwards way, in my opinion, of conducting police services. You arrest someone um, when they're engaging in a crime and obviously to protect the uh, public space and public safety from that crime that is currently happening, but maybe future crimes that would happen as well as a result of this individual not being reprimanded. And um, instead of doing that, they let this individual continue or the individuals continue unabated. And it's only after the fact that they're trying to now seize all of our footage uh, to, I guess, 
I, like I mentioned, bring justice somehow to the alleged criminals. And so when you arrest somebody at the scene, you know, they're innocent until proven guilty. But when you arrest somebody, you immediately quell the concerns of public safety because you've removed the offender. And so why that doesn't happen um, and why it was so heavily enforced arbitrarily onto peaceful protesters and not actual offenders is really just not meshing well for anybody who is approaching this with kind of a, a logic, logical, reasonable, common sense approach. It doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe maybe it does to you, Sid. Well, and it's my understanding that the events that this is in relation to, uh, there were charges laid against people who were agitators uh, against Josh Alexander, who had planned a demonstration here in downtown Calgary. Um, they they did lay charges. Um, I, I I really I don't know what they're fishing for. Uh, we we did publish a report on that uh, on that event, not on uh, uh, thereafter situation, um, but we we published everything that happened. Um, we, we show people what's really going on. We don't hide back footage. We don't tell our story in a, uh, uh, an exclusive way to hide other relevant materials. We tell the story as it is the other side of the story that you don't see. Um, and I guess they don't like that. They want to see, you know, the extra seconds we have of the sidewalk. Um, uh, I, I'm really curious as to what they think they're going to get. Um, and I think it's kind of funny that they are pursuing it, but needless to say, um, we are, uh, we, as you saw that tweet from Ezra, uh, there's the potential to end the actions to fight them in court. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. And we have a court date. So anyway, we're going to have to do more on that file just to follow up, but we have a rumble rant here from Fraser McBurney. Thanks so much, Fraser. Why do we let these rioters into Canada, send them back to where they came from? Well, I mean, Justin Trudeau's policy is diversity is our strength and I'm all for you know, legal migrants coming into our country and making it a, a better place to live, um, bringing skill sets to our country and and developing it and making it a, a better place to live and grow and be an economic uh, strength. But we're seeing more and more that that may not actually be the case. We know that there is extensive illegal border crossings at places like Roxham Road and other unsecured areas all across the border. So how many of these individuals are uh, legal versus legal migrants versus illegal aliens? We're not really sure. But uh, but yeah, obviously, the unabated immigration policies and targets need to be more heavily scrutinized and addressed, is my opinion, um, because we don't have the infrastructure to accommodate this many individuals. I think it's nearly 1.5 million people over the next two and a half years that will come into Canada and the vast majority of them will funnel into Ontario and Toronto specifically. And there's just nowhere for them to go. We already have a housing crisis. There's a cost of living inflation crisis. Um, everyday Canadians can't get homes or places to live. And so that is only going to compound and exacerbate that existing issue that Canadians just can't dig themselves out of the hole over. So I think, again, that's why this common sense approach by the leader of the opposition, Pierre Polyev, is really resonating with Canadians because he is going to take a more sensible approach to some of these policies that have just been willy-nilly changed under the Justin Trudeau liberals. And now we're seeing the fallout and the repercussions of them. That's my opinion. Yeah. No, I, I certainly agree with you. And as I mentioned previously, as the former housing minister, uh, I, I almost guarantee simply by the mess that Trudeau has created, 
that as soon as Pierre walks in, there's going to be a very, hopefully, a very easy cleanup of at least something, some action that can be taken uh, to alleviate the the financial burden that this is costing everyday Canadians. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, on that note, let's get back into the Tamara Leach trial. So we touched on it a little bit already at the beginning of the stream. So she's her and co-accused Chris Barber are in Ottawa, uh, the Ottawa courtroom today. It's day two of their trial that will run every uh, few days per week for the next roughly six weeks. And we're featuring exclusive reports at TamaraTrial.com. We have reporter Robert Krejcik in the courtroom live tweeting. We also have videographer Lincoln Jay outside of the courtroom who is is collecting any relevant or notable action that's happening outside. And then there's also uh, the registered Canadian charity, the Democracy Fund, who's representing Tamara at no cost to her. They're also live tweeting from the courtroom. So we've developed that page at TamaraTrial.com to kind of compile all of those tweets into a written piece. And then Robert Krejcik will be doing a video report at the end of each day and trying to scrum some of the lawyers or get public opinion on the streets or people leaving the courthouse. Um, but we have this little video we can share with you from Lincoln showing Tamara entering the courtroom this morning. And maybe if we can just play the clip, we'll uh, we'll comment thereafter. So she's just entering uh, the courtroom. But I, I wanted to note here that she stops to pick up a bike that a cameraman knocked over. I mean, this just shows the kind of person that Tamara Leach is. She is, she cares about her community. She has respect for people, for their belongings, for their items. Um, and, you know, this looks like a like a homeless man's bike and you have a bunch of people here and everyday people would likely not pay this person any mind. And there's Tamara Leach, this, you know, alleged to have obstructed police and committing mischief and uh, counseling others to commit mischief. And she stops to pick up a homeless man's bike that a cameraman knocked over while they're trying to get comment from her as she enters the courtroom this morning. This speaks that actions speak louder than words to me. And that spoke volumes as to just the kind of caring, compassionate person that she really is. Well, in contrast that to the the outlook that many in the mainstream media have like these cameramen. And this is, uh, I think, something paralleled in the work that they put out. 
it's indiscriminate. It's inhuman in a sense. You know, he's just walking backwards. He just wants that shot. doesn't matter that there's some homeless guy on a bicycle behind him. He'll step over and backwards if it takes getting the shot that he needs to have his job. Um, it's a very, you know, the mainstream media is cutthroat, and they're cutthroat with the way that they portray these stories. Um, it's kind of nice, I guess you could say, to see that they are all actually present to report on this, uh, whereas we know oftentimes they might just not tell or cover stories simply because it doesn't fit the MO uh, that they're trying to achieve in the long run. Right. Yeah. They can't bite the hand that feeds. So they have to go and toe the line of the narrative and the consensus. Um, yeah, I, I actually haven't seen any of the mainstream media reports out of the trial yet, other than the, the one from the National Post uh, yesterday, where the headline was uh, Leach and Barber will not be uh, tried for their political opinions, said the Crown. So that was a really interesting unfolding. And again, you can watch our first day recap at TamaraTrial.com. Uh, Robert Krejcik had a great video, a couple notable speakers like Tom Morazzo, and he tried to scrum one of uh, Greenspun, uh, Leach's lawyer. And then before we continue on, we also have this clip from Lincoln Jay, uh, and it's Chris Barber, the co-accused with Tamara Leach, who also entered the courtroom this morning, and we can just take a quick peek at that. I will. Terry Simpson, too. The defense is that the Chris's team is doing a good job, but the Crown Prosecutor is here's the door Chris not as notable as Tamara Leach's entrance picking up the bike of uh, the knocked over bike of a homeless man but uh, there he is and I'm not sure if we have any updates on the uh, the page here that we've compiled of the day two but something that I mentioned earlier in the stream and in case anybody missed it was the tweet from the Democracy Fund, who, as I mentioned, is uh, representing Tamara Leach at no cost to her, where they state that the judge in the tri this trial is strictly applying hearsay rules. This will not be like the Public Order Emergency Commission, where we heard testimony about assaults that the witness did not actually observe. And that's, you know, in relation to the commissioner, um, who who conducted the Public Order Emergency Commission that was meant to scrutinize Trudeau and his invocation of war, the wartime legislation, uh, the, the Emergencies Act. And he did so to quell a peaceful demonstration in the nation's capital. And this commission was meant to scrutinize that decision and see if it was justified. And, and in the end, they the commissioner decided that it was in fact justified and that those very high thresholds for justification were met um, because they did not apply the hearsay rules. And so the Public Order Emergency Commission let anybody and everybody who had uh, testimony to provide, they allowed that to be submitted, um, even if it was hearsay. It was, it was instances that, that these individuals did not observe directly themselves, like the, uh, the arson attempt, which was basically a smoldering in a hallway of a nearby apartment complex that was later determined had no relation to the Freedom Convoy. 
things like the the flag being waved, uh, the, the Nazi flag. And I think there was, um, was it the Confederate flag or there was another um, another flag, controversial flag that, you know, it's like, where did these people come from? Nobody saw them the rest of the, the time uh, during the commission. Violent assaults, like people punching people in the face, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the list goes on and on. And actually we have a whole website also dedicated to that coverage that we did um, back in October of last year, September and October of last year. And it was commissionreports.com. So for anybody who's not familiar with that, I'd urge you to go there and check it out. But I think this is really great uh, that the judge has decided not to hear any allegations and instead focus on the actual concrete evidence. And uh, that page there, uh, tamiratrial.com, you can see the day one recap. And uh, so moving, do you have any comments there, Sid, that you'd like to add into the Leach trial or the Public Order Emergency Commission and how the commissioner, you know, is conducted that commission much differently than what we're seeing here now, which is an actual judicial trial? Well, maybe we should just track out how closely related these judges are to the Liberal Party or Justin Trudeau. How many donor parties have they been to? How much financing have they put towards uh, either the Liberal or the Conservative Party, let's say, but more likely uh, in this case with the Liberal Party? Uh, and that's what we've seen. Didn't we find out recently that the Supreme Court uh, of Canada, many of the judges who were brought in after Justin Trudeau became Prime Minister, were... Uh, you know, living lavishly, I guess you could say, with uh, uh, the Liberals at their parties or their campaign events. Uh, so I think there needs to be a serious question about uh, how much influence the Liberal Party, the, the current elected government, has over the judges in this country. Uh, especially if you look at the Public Order Emergency, Emergency Commission, it is, of course, slightly different than your, your regular court proceedings. Um, and one of the issues, aside from, yes. you know, the bias that might be implemented by uh, uh, Justice Rouleau there, um, is all of the information. There, there's terabytes of information, to say the least, about this event. There's there's thousands and thousands of stories that need to be heard. And, and they had to have this done Tuesday, yesterday, um, basically. It, there, there was not enough time to go through a proper analysis, or at the very least, there weren't enough people to adequately fulfill that process in a short order, um, which leaves a lot on the table and a lot of questions unanswered, I think. Um, and I know what recently, uh, over the last uh, week or so, there was a uh, the government put forward some kind of six month uh, in recommendation or advising uh, that they would need at least six more months or a full year to revisit uh, any, I guess, legislative changes that might be uh, needed to affect the Emergencies Act. Uh, but they just keep pushing the ball down the road, and there is real no, uh, there is no real accountability uh, that we're actually seeing from the Emergencies Act uh, or the Public Order Emergency Commission. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that this is an impartial jurist. I think that the Crown is so used to seeing partial judges sitting up um, on the throne, to put it in a, for lack of a better word. Um, and so I think that what we'll see here is more of an impartial, neutral judge, which is great for uh, fair and timely access to justice. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we, it is only day two and there's a long road ahead, but already what I'm kind of seeing coming out of the courts and the live tweets and, uh, the way that the judge has conducted himself, uh, I think that this, this is going to be a really interesting case to follow and with actual neutrality and impartiality. 
we need to restore that again. I talked about the blurring of the lines between police and politics and ideologies, and the same needs to hold true for our law. Uh, we really need to get ground those firm lines once again and stop blurring that line between political interference, the law, the police, so on and so forth. Uh, these are very separate entities of this uh, and separate from the state, and they should harshly remain so. Um, well, let's maybe let's go to an ad break and then we'll get into some of the misinformation COVID stuff. Uh, I would prefer to go out, get off of YouTube. Um, I like to be able to speak unabated and Rumble and the other streaming platforms seem like the better place to do that. So uh, maybe I'll read this one last super chat or Rumble rant. Um, from Snowy Roof, and then we'll go to an ad break, and we will come back at, only on Rumble. We'll cut our YouTube stream, and that way we don't have to worry about being in um, contravention of YouTube's arbitrary and ever-changing community standards guidelines. So Snowy Roof gives $5. Thank you very much. How closely is the judge linked to the Liberal Party without a jury? They are strictly at the mercy of the judge. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the Crown, uh, they showed a video on day one. And again, they Robert Krejcik gets into that in his day one recap. But the Crown showed a video kind of laying the groundwork of what the protest was like, uh, the, the Freedom Convoy. And it was very biased, one-sided. Um, it didn't show any of the peaceful demonstrations like bouncy castles, the food that was given out, the singing the coming togetherness, right? Because a big part of this is how much Canadians had been prevented from just gathering together. We were told not to gather indoors. You're told that your unvaccinated family members will kill you if you get together with them for uh, Thanksgiving, for Christmas, if you gather for birthdays. Remember they were having kids' birthday parties. They were doing these like drive-by kids' birthday parties where the police and fire department and ambulance would all drive by and, you know, honk and whatever. And the kids would be there waving and they'd drop off presents. And I even knew families that handed out cake, individual slices of cake from their vehicle to kids as they went on this like birthday parade. And anyway, not to get too much into the nitty gritty of what actually happened throughout the COVID hysteria, but um, but the Crown is really trying to sway, I think, the judge's opinion on what the protest actually looked like on the ground by by highlighting or presenting rather this cherry picked video of what it looked like in the streets of Ottawa during that time. Um, and so, again, this this judge notes how impartial they are when asked for. Um, additional footage and additional, like, I think, I don't know what the exact wording that Krejcik used, but um, the judge essentially asked for all of the footage, not just these, this specific compilation that the Crown put together. So that's a really great indication that the judge is saying, wait, I think there's more to this story. And I want to see the whole story before I just take your one-sided cherry picked uh, perspective. And, you know, with a jury, um, I think that the public opinion would be even more easily or um, even, yeah, even more easily to sway uh, a jury. You never know what you're going to get, what those people's personal opinions are, how they were affected uh, by the convoy, what kind of media sources they were believing. So I think putting this in the hands of a judge who is impartial is really key to 
getting getting real justice. And I'm hopeful that it will be served. Well, and it should go without saying that we want impartial judges. We don't want judges that are on the liberal roster. Um, But that's that is where things are in Canada. Uh, It it is a very unfortunate sight to see. But uh, well, actually, I mean, Tamara, what what would you suggest the solutions are? Do you have an eye on that or it's is it just a matter of waiting for them to get replaced? Yeah, I mean, like I said, getting that firm line um, between the judicial system, the political system, uh, having, you know, restoring law and order without political interference, that used to be a cornerstone of having a a free and democratic society and having a, a society that upholds law and order. And we've seen this lawlessness and this arbitrary and unfair application of the law onto people throughout the COVID narrative. It's really highlighted gaps and and discrepancies that we have existing in the system. And um, I think that the more, I think awareness that this is happening is the first step to advocating for change. And so I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. I don't have there. I don't think there is an easy solution, but simply knowing that this is happening, that political interference is very real and is really undermining our democracy and our democratic due process is the first step in advocating to restore truth, justice, democracy, law and order. That's that would be uh, my opinion on it. And one thing I can add is I know in a lot of the cases, especially revolving around coots, uh, disclosure is seemingly rarely provided in a full and wholesome manner. Uh, disclosure, of course, being the evidence that the Crown lawyers would have against the accused. Uh, in this case, Tamara Leach being you know, charged with mischief and uh, other offenses. Uh, there's evidence that the government lawyers are supposed to provide the judge, and it is the evidence against the client. It's what makes them guilty. Uh, and whether or not the evidence that the Crown has is good or bad for the Crown's uh, uh, accusations, they need to present everything. And this has been an issue with multiple court cases now, is they're simply not providing all the evidence that there is in the cases. Uh, I know we had a major victory uh, with Chris Scott uh, and the Whistle Stop Cafe here in Alberta. And this is a, a similar issue where they had continually failed to provide a full disclosure. And then it became revealed that within these uh, uh, sections of disclosure that were slowly being provided, there was more information that was needed for uh, to be provided. Uh, and then it looked like, oh, look, it looks like they might actually be uh, not presenting us with evidence of email communications that are extremely relevant to the situation that make the Crown's arguments look bad. And they're concealing that from the case. Um, you know, maybe uh, we can pull up that headline, uh, our previous report there, just to give people a little more context. But it's uh, it's absolutely incredible to think that time and time again, lawyers for the government are hiding the evidence against those uh, who they're they're charging with these offenses to make them look more guilty in court. Yeah, it's it's literally it's the exact same thing with uh, Constable Helen Groose from the Ottawa Police Services, who was actually removed from duty just during this the freedom convoy unfolding in downtown ottawa because of their their vaccine mandate uh, she refused to disclose her private medical information to the ottawa police services but she had launched an investigation into the, the instances of sudden infant death that were proliferating the area in within ottawa um throughout 2021 and into the first month of 2022. And she wanted to just really see and make sure as a senior official 
within the uh, child abuse and sexual assault units, the SACA unit. She just wanted to see if there was any any missing pieces to the puzzle because she was noticing a stark increase in sudden infant death in the area. And she had a a vast array of experience and expertise in the field. And some of the newer police service members were being given these case files. And she was noticing that, that sometimes the questionnaire, so there's a SIDS questionnaire that you ask the families. And she was noticing that in some of the cases, the SIDS questionnaires were not completed. And uh, so she was just going back and checking to make sure that the police were doing their due diligence, that they were collecting all of the relevant information and conducting an investigation if it needed to be conducted. And one and anyway, the the her investigation was leaked to the media. Media seemed to be really politically motivated because um, one family member uh, who was a senior public health agency of Canada's daughter, who's also happened to be a lawyer, was involved in this leak and perhaps involved in one of these cases as well. And uh, so there seemed to be some political interference coming from that senior official, ultimately at the Public Health Agency of Canada, who was responsible for the continued messaging coming out of the agency that these were safe and effective. If you're pregnant, if you're breastfeeding, everybody and anyone should get these shots and it's safe and effective, safe and effective. And uh, anybody who questioned that narrative, especially if they were conducting an actual police investigation into uh, whether or not these shots were actually safe and effective, and if they had any role to play in the sudden infant death seen throughout the Ottawa region in 2021 and into the, that early month of 2022, uh, they couldn't have that. So they really seemed to utilize the media as a tool to make sure that someone like Helen Groose was silenced and prevented from conducting her duties. And the disclosure against her is severely lacking. Um, the, the Her legal team has repeatedly requested various items. It won't, it has not been disclosed, keeps being ruled that it is irrelevant. Um, they want to cross-examine the mainstream media journalist from the CBC uh, Sh- Shalini, I think her name was, I can't remember her last name, uh, or Shabini or something. Anyway, uh, they won't approve her, their request to subpoena this journalist and, you know, so on and so forth. But yeah, as like Sid, as you mentioned, there are so many instances where this is happening across the country legally, and it really gives me a restored confidence in the judicial sim- system if Tamara Leach's judge is actually impartial, if they will be looking at the full scope of the evidence on both sides instead of just taking one side's cherry-picked evidence verbatim and not questioning whether or not it gives and offers full insight and a full scope of the real unfoldings. So as I said, it's day two. I won't get too ahead of the game, um, but we'll see in the weeks to follow what happens. And we do have another super or rumble rant from World's Worst Gamer. Thank you very much. Rebel news equals truth telling. Thanks for what you do. Well, and thank you for your support um, because without the support of our donors and our contributors, uh, we would not be able to bring you this work. So thank you for that. Um, okay, so let's go to, a, uh, I don't even know if we have an, a time for an ad break. Yeah, I don't think we have time for an ad break, Sid. But let's get off of uh, YouTube and we'll go on to Rumble to chat about this last topic, which is the World Health Organization's Director General Tedros Gabriasis, who is saying that we will need more COVID 
COVID tools in the future. I'll give us a second. Uh, maybe super producer Olivia can let me know when we're off. I think we're off of YouTube. So here, we'll play this clip and then we'll chat about it. The increase in hospitalizations and deaths shows that COVID is here to stay and that we will continue to need tools to fight it. And I mean, one of those tools I'm guessing is going to be, we have this article that you shared, said maybe you, do, you want to take the lead on it. Um, the latest COVID vaccine, vaccine. Well, and I, I touched, I touched on this. Uh, yeah, quote unquote vaccine. Uh, I touched on this slightly. We're off of YouTube. I, uh, you know, thank, uh, thank the heavens. Um, pardon me, but uh, Pfizer's COVID nineteen vaccine for XBB.1.5 subvariant is approved in the United Kingdom. Uh, but if you look, I mean, that's the headline. But if you look uh, underneath there, I think it will show, or in the tweet it showed, um, uh, as a, a subhead that this is only specifically good for that subvariant. It's not effective at, you know, fighting COVID. It's only effective for that specific version. And that's been the problem is that, you know, the, you know, quote unquote vaccine, as it were, um, it's supposed to be effective for COVID. Oh, it looks like you need another shot if you want to, you know, stay safe. And then they keep on doing this. And now, you know, pair this, that this new vaccine only works for this very small variant that isn't going to be around for long. And the fact that Ted Rose is saying that this is going to be around forever, the COVID uh, virus, well, what is this? This is a seasonal flu they're preparing us for. They're trying to bring it back into the regular coronavirus season uh, or otherwise known as, you know, uh, the fall flu season. Uh, this is what the conspiracy people have been saying from the get go, is that this <laughs> is going to be some kind of uh, seasonal, uh, uh, basically driver's license for vaccines that you're going to have to get. Uh, it's another mandated uh, thing that they're going to try and force by the government if they can take it. Uh, as far as they would like. I, I just think it's absolutely insane. And I think we have officially gotten to that point where COVID is a seasonal flu, um, especially given this news. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Tamara? Yeah, well, we have, I just shared um, an article from True North there where Bonnie Henry, that's the British Columbia's provincial medical officer of health. Um, she says that the COVID-19 vaccines are going to be treated as an updated seasonal vaccine. But it's really interesting because a lot of the data that was coming that has been coming out in terms of hospitalizations and cases and, you know, we can question the validity and um, the accuracy of things like cases with, you know, the faulty PCR testing and even more faulty uh, rapid testing that are used as these diagnostic tools, which are not actually diagnostic tools, but without getting into all of that. Um, so you can question how accurate those case counts, those hospitalizations, et cetera, et cetera, really are. But based on them, data um, analysts conducted various uh, graphs that determined that the waves that we saw of COVID, both pre and post vaccine, are seasonal. You would see you would see this peak of seasonality with any respiratory infection um, during certain times, you know, primarily the, the fall, the winter, the early spring, and then it would pretty much flatline in the summer. And so a lot of, a lot of people were saying early on, right from the onset, this is seasonality. This is, this isn't like any sort of new robust virus. This is just simply the same seasonality that we have always seen over the decades, generations with viral respiratory infections. And, um, and so the thing that changed that dynamic, unfortunately, was the rollout of the novel injections. And so you saw an increase in cases and hospitalizations and things like this 
when that that would peak in a time frame that was uh, had they call it temporal proximity. So it was closely related in time to when mandates came out, to when they released the second dose, to when they recommended the boosters, and so on and so forth. And so analysts have looked, taken a look and a closer eye at all of these variables, and they've charted it. And um, it's determined that, well, there was always seasonality at play, but that was really hindered and tampered with when the injections rolled out because you saw close temporal proximity with increases in hospitalizations and cases after certain injection mandates and other criteria were pushed indiscriminately on the population. Um, clearly, the mRNA injections are not working. Uh, the, there's never been a uh, SARS-CoV-2, a uh, SARS vaccine that's been effective because we know that this is a virus that mutates. I mean, every virus mutates. Uh, that is the that is how a virus works. It mutates, and as it goes down the lineage, it becomes less and less virulent or less apt to be lethal. Because if a virus kills its host, right? A virus needs a host to survive. If a virus kills its host then it dies too. So why would a virus want to work that way? The, a virus wants to continue to live, and so it becomes less lethal, less deadly as it mutates through the population, and that's where you get uh, things like herd immunity. And so this is all very much based on sound science, um, immunology, virology. We know these this to be a, a fact, and why this is just disregarded for the idea that these new variants are somehow scarier than the original strain or scarier than the original COVID and we need a seasonal booster as a result. Um, it's not based on science or evidence. This is this is clearly pandemic or, or pharma, I should say, this is clearly pharma profiteering. Um, and it's really unfortunate that our health system appears to be entirely captured by it. Yeah, well, and you think about, uh, we were talking about the investigation into sudden infant death syndrome. Where did uh, sudden adult death syndrome come from? That's a new <laughs> term, is it not? Uh, or at least yeah. it hasn't really been utilized for decades to the uh, human's existence up until now. Uh, now we have people dying and nobody knows why, quote unquote, right? Uh, and, and of course, you mentioned the tie-ins to the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates and how they were affecting the pandemic, as it were. And what are we finding out more and more is the case is that the, the rules they were implementing were counterproductive. They were causing more harm. And, and you mm -hmm. talk about the, the vaccine language, of course. I mean, the, the old vaccine, what a vaccine is supposed to be versus this mRNA, you know, gene therapy type treatment. They're radically different. Uh, and, and you look at that uh, great documentary that came out recently, Died Suddenly. Uh, it really looks into yes. what the what the effects are, and you know, obviously, we're not on YouTube anymore. Uh, but it, it really dives into the effects on the body uh, to a lot of people who passed away, who, uh, I mean, ha took the vaccine, as it were. Um, you you see the physical damage that's going into their bodies, and, and this is being blatantly ignored by those of uh, those in our government. Uh, you talk about the health and the science of it. Well, they've been saying the same thing over and over and over again, um, and. It's really sad to see how much damage has actually been caused. I know we run that advertisement uh, about that medical uh, um, uh, supplement, uh, the pill there. Uh, those are, the you know, company, yeah. yeah, thank you. The, the wellness company. Um, this is a product that 
where, where did this demand come from? All of a sudden, people are trying to get this stuff out of their body. Uh, and I think that's something that we need to propagate more of because there needs to be some kind of natural immune defense to the environment around you. Otherwise, these people who prescribe themselves to this yearly vaccination, as it were, um, they're going to get sicker and sicker and sicker. Um, and, and they're being led down this path wrongfully. They don't realize what they're being led down. There needs to be greater awareness uh, to the issues that are being caused by these medical treatments they've been imposing on us. Yeah, I think a lot of people have started to become aware uh, everywhere I go now, including, you know, if we have rebel events or screenings or book signings or so on and so forth, I meet people who are vaccine injured. I have, I, I can't even keep up in my inbox with the people that reach out to me uh, who have various, are in various state of vaccine injury, trying to navigate a system. You know, a lot of them took these shots to keep their jobs and now they're too sick to work. And so uh, that is really sad because they were coerced into this experimental injection. They're, they're suffering the ill effects of it and there's no support for them. The doctors don't know what to do with them. There's no tr real cohesive treatment option available and it depends on the individual symptoms, right? There is some uh, some patterns that are emerging and we see that with the, you know, the myocarditis, the heart issues, the clotting stuff, these seizures, neurological effects, but there are so many other small nuances that people are experiencing with their injury that they, doctors, you know, the mainstream uh, medical system has no idea how to treat them. And there is no financial support. Uh, they're supposed to be through the vaccine injury support program, the federally instituted uh, initiative. But um, if you can even make it through the paperwork that and the bloated bureaucracy that is needed to have your re reaction not only acknowledged and, and approved um, by state-backed doctors, but to actually get to the, the other side where you see any form of compensation. And that's not compensation that's coming from the pharmaceutical companies that made trillions of dollars off of these novel therapies. That's coming from our taxpayer-funded pocket. Uh, and so the the whole system is is really a failure. Um, and we have uh, Memory Hole who gave us a rumble rant. And thank you for that because, you know, it's so important on the topic of memory holing that we don't memory hole what happened, right? Don't let these uh, public health officials, our government, media, try to tell you or gaslight you that these coercive efforts didn't happen, that it was always your choice to get vaccinated and so on and so forth. We we talked about a lot of that yesterday on the live stream. And I'm sorry that my feed cut right when we were getting into it. Um, but yeah, they there is a clear effort to memory hole the pandemic response and how it truly affected everyone. And we can't let that happen. So that's why I really love the work that we do at Rebel News because we have the clips, we keep the receipts, we show the screenshots, we name and uh, sometimes even shame. So uh, don't let your memories be memory hold. Thanks, memory hole, for your $10 uh, donation. New take on an old joke. I went to fights last night and a multicultural festival broke out. <laughs> yeah, that's what they're experiencing in Calgary with the Eritrea uh, opposing tribes. Um, and I think that we're seven minutes over. So I know that we have Maybe we can just show a quick clip from Lincoln Jay, our videographer, who's at the Ottawa courthouse currently. But over the weekend, he was in Toronto asking people 
how they would react if lockdowns and mask mandates came back. Um, and so I don't know if we have a select clip that we want to play just from that little video, but this is concerning, right? Because I think, well, I'm also in a bit of an echo chamber. So I think, oh, there's no way they could get away with this, but it's good to get out on the street and just kind of surveil um, what's happening, what the feedback is from other people, the general population, because I think people wouldn't comply because we largely didn't, my group of, of friends and acquaintances didn't during the pan original pandemic, and they certainly wouldn't again. Um, but I was shocked hearing some of the responses from the people in the streets of Toronto. So we'll just share a small quick clip with you of that. And you can check out the full report at rebelnews.com. Brought the mask back in after what I went through before. I, I just pack up and go back to Italy. So I'd be perfectly happy to consider other people and put on a mask and, and do what's considerate. It's kind of the bare minimum as a human. That's all I got to say about it. I don't know. I think it's all bullshit. It's still happening. It's still real. So I'm not like a COVID denier. Um, and I believe in masks and things to keep people safe. Why do you? So one last question. I want I want me and my family to be safe and I want the people around me to be safe as well. And as much as I can do that, I feel like I'm giving back to the community as well. So I think I'd be unhappy about it, but I would do it just to be like safe. Shouldn't at this point maybe we consider like if you're at risk, you stay inside, you protect yourself, you wear a mask. But is it the right move to force everybody under the same blanket and force everybody to abide by measures? Well, everybody who wants to be in a public space, sure. I mean, that is, that's just the way it works. You know, I love that Lincoln asked that question because I'm a, I'm a firm belief that that's how it always should have been. If you're at risk, if you're scared, if you're terrified of interacting in your community or elsewhere, then you can stay home and stay locked up inside or you wear a mask or, you know, you take whatever precautions you think that you need to take as an individual, as an informed individual, right? Because I think that if people were truly informed and not propagandized by the government and state-backed media, they would not be so so terrified as some of people clearly still are on the streets of downtown Toronto. But that's how it always should have been. If you're terrified, if you think there's this um, imminent threat, you, there's a risk, then you can stay home and save lives, right? Because that was what we were, the, the slogan that we were fed through that propaganda uh, behavioral modification campaign that was unleashed onto everybody indiscriminately. And when people started to say things like that, well, if you're scared, stay home. We want the lock, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve. Okay, we did our two weeks, we did our three weeks. Now, if you're still scared, then you stay home. And people, I was really seeing a lot of that um, in the early days of March, April, 2020. People were saying, well, we want to go back and go back to work. We want to get out and live. We are, we're not staying locked in our homes for, for lo any longer. We're done. And it was the government that really flipped that script. And they said, well, if you won't do your part, if you won't wear your mask, if you won't get your vaccine, then you have to stay inside. You can't go out and socialize. You can't partake in these social activities or the, the parts of our society that makes us, you know, gives you that sense of community, that sense of belonging, being out gathering. If you won't do your part, then you stay inside. And we're going to cater to these terrified cowards who want to be masked, who want to get seven COVID mRNA novel boosters. And we're going to cater to them and do the mask and do the vax, make them take all these boosters so they can go out into the community. And if you think that you want to make an alternative choice for yourself and your family, well, guess what? You're going to stay inside. 
you're going to be isolated. And that's government orders. That is how well, the government flipped the script. Well, and let's not forget, uh, in the beginning, you were not supposed to wear a mask. They were not effective. And then you had to wear a mask because they were effective. And then you had to wear two masks because two masks were effective and one mask wasn't. Uh, but the fact is, they started off by saying masks were not effective, then masks were. And you see that one guy there being like, oh, yeah, you know, if they brought back the mask, you know, it's your duty or whatever to protect society, blah, blah. Um, these people have no idea what they're talking about. And they are a danger to the citizens <laughs> right? around them. Uh, especially, and this is one thing that nobody's really talked about um, in, in a large sense, at least, is the fact that we excrete waste through our lungs. Uh, uh, it's not just the, the rectum area that we get rid of bad things that the body doesn't want. So, too, are we exhaling constantly things that our body is trying to get rid of as fast as it possibly can. And what do we do? We put it right there on our mouth and breathe it back in. Uh, I, I couldn't mm -hmm. think of a, a, a worse thing to do for your breathing uh, than to put on a mask. And even before that, it, as you mentioned, it was March and April uh, when the Quarantine Act was implemented to, you know, two weeks to stop the spread turned into two years to end your life. Um, the COVID-19 virus was named after 2019. We knew about this in November and December of 2019, and it took him, what, four to five months to take action. Well, I'm sorry, but if there's the most deadly pandemic on the planet, five months is a little too late. And then they locked everyone down after they, you know, got the virus, let's say. It, it, it was just a hot mess all the way around. They either didn't know what they were doing or they were trying to be counterproductive. It truly was a hot mess. And one of the main things for me and for a lot of people um, was, as you mentioned, said, you know, originally it was don't wear a mask. Or we, we need to save our masks for the medical community because our federal uh, chief health officer, Teresa Tam, is a is completely inept and let all of our PPE expire, I think, what, a month before uh, the, the pandemic pandemonium hit. And then they sent, I think it was 16 tons of PPE to China in February of 2020 um, when, you know, 16 tons, PPE is so light. You think about just the magnitude of PPE that would have to encompass 16 tons of it. We sent that all to China. And then a month later, we're declaring um, a state of emergency in you know every jurisdiction, province and territory in Canada due to the pandemic with a shortage of PPE after literally weeks prior, we sent it all to China. And one thing for me that came out, um, I shared this global news article, I think, yeah, November of 2020. <laughs> I could like this, this is just so insanely laughable. I don't know how anybody could have taken anything seriously after this. Paper towel, dried up baby wipes can work as a filter in a three-layer mask. Experts, right? Because we're always hearing about this these experts that the mainstream media likes to amplify um, without declaring any of their conflicts of interest. And I don't know if these particular ones have conflicts of interest, but it seems every time I dig into the experts that the media uh, amplifies, they always have some form of conflict of interest or have somehow profiteered from the pandemic-related public health measures. Um, but literally you could you could take your because remember it was cloth mask, then it was single layer, then it was double layer. And then now this was the time where they were saying, no, you need three layers. You need a, some sort of filtration device in there. And, and like literally any old dried up baby wipe can do. Um, at that point, I thought this is absolutely asinine. And I don't know how anybody is believing that this is accurate or based on any sort of science or evidence like that to me right there in November of 2020, when they said you could use a dried up baby wipe as some sort of high-tech scientific filtration device in your three-layer cloth mask. 
that to me was just absolutely nonsensical and truly laughable. Well, and weren't we also getting a, a wide range of new sexual advice uh, related to the pandemic? Uh, I remember it was there was a talk about using glory holes. There was talk, and this is from our health officials, uh, yeah, using glory holes, glory holes and face the uh, other direction when you're, you know, engaging in uh, sexual intercourse. Uh, just <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, glory holes for safer sex during coronavirus. Isn't that lovely? Like, get out of my life. I don't need the nanny state. Thank you very much, but no, thank you. I got. I think we have a shirt at the Rebel News store. Um, I tried my my free trial of communism, and I'd like to cancel it now. Uh, that is exactly how I felt after that sort of two weeks. I thought two weeks, okay, that seems reasonable. Two weeks flatten the curve. We'll give them that. Get your get your stuff together, government, and we'll give you two weeks to do it. And they did nothing except for continue to shutter small businesses and lock people out of their livelihoods in that time. And at that point, I was like, this doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. So anyway, we're 16 minutes past the hour. Um, so I'm going to wrap this up. But thank you to everybody at home who joined us. Thank you to our Rumble ranters who contributed to our live stream. We always appreciate your support and the support of all of our viewers. Thank you to super producers Efron and Olivia who make the stream happen. Get these clips up for us. Uh, find the notable topics to discuss. And of course, everybody else behind the scenes who makes this possible, sharing it on social media getting all of the links in order, et cetera, et cetera. Sid, you might see Sid and I as the face here, but there is a whole team behind us making this stream possible. So thanks everybody who joined us and we'll have a team of rebels here same time tomorrow from one to 2 p.m. Eastern. So please come back and join us then. As David Menzies always says, stay safe and stay sane. And stability is a key element of supply chain resilience. It benefits everyone. That's one of the things we have to focus on so much right now. Understanding that insecurity and instability around the world is one of the greatest challenges, not just to economies, but to democracies. When people don't feel secure, secure in their own jobs, secure within their community, feel secure for their kids or for their path to retirement, they become more vulnerable, more vulnerable to populist thinking, to authoritarianism, to being swayed by the misinformation and disinformation that surrounds them every day on social media. People are anxious. No wonder people are anxious. The world is changing now harder and faster than it ever has. Pandemic, climate change, global conflicts, reorienting uh, geostability, uncertain economics, the rise of AI and automation, putting jobs at risk. No wonder people are worried. No wonder people are anxious. No wonder people are looking for any solutions they can. And what we need as leaders, whether it's political leaders, or business leaders is to show people that there is room for them in the future we're all building together. People see the future as change. They see change is coming to the world. They just aren't sure that there's room for them in that future. 
And that goes at the very core of the idea of promise, that the idea of progress and that promise that is central to our economies, to our institutions, to our national well-beings. The idea that the hard work of one generation makes things better and easier for the next generation. In a world plagued by conformity, where truth is distorted, freedom is a distant memory, and Big Brother is always watching. One man, Winston Smith, looks to break through his bleak existence. Introducing the all-new Rebel Illustrated Classics edition of George Orwell's iconic book, 1984. Now, more than ever, in the age of lockdowns, 15-minute cities, and World Economic Forum globalism, everyone must read 1984. Uncover the hidden depths of this literary classic with our exclusive illustrated edition that brings Orwell's haunting vision to life, reborn with a foreword by Ezra Levant and 30 captivating new illustrations by artist Paul Revoche. You see that Orwell is not only explaining what might come, but in my opinion, what's already here, even back when he wrote it in 1949 but much more so as we see revealed today, particularly with the last three years. Join the rebellion against conformity. Get your hands on the Rebel Illustrated Classics edition of 1984, now available at buy1984.com.